Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Let's pray and we'll get into this. So God, thank you for these people. Thank you for God, how you're guiding and directing us. Lord, we have a lot to be thankful for this year. It could be um, family, friends, your provision, house, salvation. It could be in the next couple of days, just even like enjoying a great glass of wine or enjoying turkey, stuffing, gravy, all these little things that just remind us of your goodness and your love for us, your provision for us. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for how you want us to reach people in Kelowna, Father, would we make you known in a city that needs you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so a few weeks ago, I was driving down um, to, going down Spall to Knox Mountain. So I was like turning off of Spall onto Clement. And um, I was going to like visit my friends as we played disc golf, and, um, which is like the most nerdy sport of all time. But we're playing disc golf and we go to go play and I actually I'm turning out off of Spall onto Clement, and there's like this big truck beside me. We're kind of like doing a left turn. And it's kind of crazy where this big, huge truck's beside me, and I'm like turning up my Spotify playlist on my phone because I can't hear it because it's too loud, right? It's this big semi-truck. And we're turning left, and I'm, I'm like on my phone as I shouldn't be, right? You probably have never done this before on your phone where you're like driving intersection. I'm like trying to switch a song and turn things up and doing all this stuff. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy step out onto the street and just do this, right? But he wasn't in front of me, thank goodness, right? He was in front of the truck, right? He was like inspecting the truck, but I kind of like was caught off guard. This truck just, pulled, just stopped and pulled over. Like this tiny little guy, like think about that. Like think about a guy just stepping out in the middle of the street, just so bold. If you've actually ever been pulled over by a police officer, right, that's that weird feeling where you're like, you're, you're speeding down a road and all of a sudden he steps out in the middle of the road and just kind of waves you over, just kind of waves you over, kind of to the side. My first speeding ticket ever happened in Langley on 200th Street there. And I, and I was speeding down because late for a meeting and all of a sudden this guy steps out and pulls me over to a parking lot. And I was like, oh, how dare he, right? Like, you think about that, like the car, the truck on Spall driving over Clement had way more power than that little tiny guy. I always think about that. I think about like that, how even like a, a traffic officer, when he's like directing traffic, if you've ever been in a situation where someone's like, yeah, come on over, no, stop, right? Like, why do we obey those per- people? Like, that's one person who has authority. We live in a culture where a police officer in that moment has authority, but that truck has way more power. If you got pulled over, right, you could obviously overpower that person. But he has authority to say, actually, no, pull over into the parking lot. I want to talk about today this idea that in God's kingdom, authority always trumps power that authority always trumps power in the kingdom of God, that we actually live in a culture that pushes back on authority. And maybe this is just me, right? Like you think about like any kind of like power structures in our society that we're against it, right? Like you can't make me do this. 
You can't make me wear a mask or get a vaccine. You can't make me do whatever it is. And that's where like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok are just like killing it because we actually are built in a society where we actually are against authority powers, right? We've actually shifted, they say, in our society from individual worth to individual autonomy. What it looks like, if you don't know what autonomy means, and we're kind of like, we're an autonomous church in the fellowship, Fellowship Baptist Church. Um, what autonomy means is that the state of existing or acting separately from others. The state of existing or acting separately from others. This is the power or right of a country group to govern themselves. I think actually in our society that when you look about individual worth to individual autonomy, individual autonomy, that we actually have shifted away from like the rights of a collective group to the rights of the individual, that we actually deeply want our own specific rights, that we actually live, they say, in a postmodern society where our cultural context, that we actually care so much about our individual rights more than the collective group of people. That's me also. Especially when you look at the church, right? You look at a culture that, that questions everything Everything. Our culture questions everything. If you don't believe me, just go home on Facebook, just post a comment about anything. And someone will say, well, no, there's another take on this. <laughs> My friend yesterday at a birthday party said, hey, like I woke up in the morning and um, I posted something and all these people just trolled me for some reason, right? And he said, actually, I was going to delete Facebook. And I was like, well, what's the comment? It was just some innocent comment that he posted out there. And all of a sudden, someone's like, actually, no, there's this side of this, and this side, and this side, and this side. And then someone else comments on that and goes, no, actually, you're wrong. And the guy's like, no, you're wrong. And then it's like, okay, you're fighting on my Facebook feed. But we live in this culture where we, are question, we question everything. We're cynical or skeptical about a lot of things. You look at a, a faith structure, if you're on Instagram or TikTok, you see a lot of times that people actually are deconstructing their faith. They're deconstructing the frameworks of their faith. There's a whole movement of people deconstructing. A lot of times they're, they're deconstructing because there's a misuse of power. There is a misuse of power in our society, in our culture, in the church, You've experienced that. I've experienced that. I've experienced systemic abuse of power that happens time and time again. That's why we want to be accountable as a church in Kelowna, that we actually want to have a board that governs us, that leads us, because systemically, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But I want us to know this. That authority, even though we we have a hard time with authority, or maybe I have a hard time with authority. Remember the first time in my church in Surrey, when I was working in Surrey, I felt like God was teaching me this lesson about authority because, like, you cannot tell me what to do. But I think for us in this culture, I want us to know that authority isn't bad, but the misuse of authority is. The misuse of authority and power is a bad thing in our culture, but authority inherently isn't bad. Look at this passage of this guy named John Mark in Mark's Gospel of Jesus. And John Mark was in a eyewitness account of Jesus. He was eventually a disciple of Peter. And we're going to talk about this really interesting Thanksgiving passage. 
It's not really a Thanksgiving passage. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, it could be on the screen if you have a Bible, open it. We use a translation called the CSB, and we just think it's the most accurate, readable translation in the market. I'd always recommend go buy one. I love reading it. It's very readable. It's not like super wordy, um, but it's like a great translation that's accurate and readable. Here's what it says in verse 21 of Mark's eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Verse 21 of chapter 1. It says, They went to Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into a convulsion, shouting with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed. So they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her and took her by the hand and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When the evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. They would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What an interesting account. <laughs> what an interesting account in Mark's gospel. When I first talked about us preaching through the gospel of Mark for a year, people said, well, there's some weird stuff in this book. There's some really weird accounts. We look at like Jesus' life that this is the first thing that Jesus does in his ministry life. Right? We talked about this last week last few weeks, that Jesus actually has this amazing moment where he's baptized. And there's this thing that's declared over him that you're my beloved son with, son with whom I'm well pleased, that actually in Christ, if our identity is found in Jesus, our identity is now a beloved son and daughter with whom God's well pleased. This passage, though, that Jesus shows up at Capernaum, which is the home of Peter, became the home base of operations for Jesus' Galilean ministry. And Pete, Jesus, just like Paul, uses freedom where when you go into a synagogue, right, back in that first century world, what happens is, like, if Peter shows up and says, hey, guys, like, I got this amazing guy. His name is Yeshua. It's Jesus, right? He's going to preach for us, right? They'd say, okay, well, we're going to open up the Torah, which is the first five books, and he'll teach out of it. So you almost like Peter's like, bring your pastor to church day, right? He's like, this is my favorite teacher. I'm bringing Jesus to church with me. And here, Jesus, do your thing, right? And Jesus is like, okay, okay, I'll do it. But it doesn't say what he did. It doesn't say what he taught. It just said this amazing thing that he actually had authority. He had authority. I like it when one of the commentators said that um, the authority word means out of the original stuff. Like when you got up there to speak in a synagogue, a lot of times it's like, okay, so-and-so, this famous rabbi says this, or this famous teacher says this, or this guy says this. But what happens is Jesus shows up and they said, he was like the original stuff. He was like the author of all things. That they knew 
He wasn't just teaching someone else's information that he was the author of all things, of all life. That Jesus had the ultimate authority. He wasn't under someone else's authority. And that's how teachers in that day would start up. They'd say, okay, you know, welcome to our synagogue. I'm going to teach you about this, this rabbi, this teacher. This is his thought. And then we're going like to kind of unpack it and make it a little more like practical for your life. But Jesus showed up and said, actually, no, I'm the original stuff. I'm out of the original stuff. I am it. You see, Jesus had authority. He wasn't communicating other people's ideas. But he's the author of all ideas. I think when I've been in seminary and during my master's, so often, like, we have teachers that come in a lecture. Maybe you've sat in a lecture where you're like, I'm like, Can, do you have any ideas that are original? You've never had, maybe you've had that. Like, I remember once I was in this class and we got to this one passage in this one epistle, right? One book of the Bible, New Testament. And I was like, I cannot wait for this one section, right? I was like, I got this class. I wanted this like one part that's very controversial to like be like talked through. And the guy got to it and he's like, and we're skipping over that. <laughs> I was like, excuse me, what? Like, you're the leading expert in the world on this. Tell me what you think. Right? Like maybe you've had someone who's actually taught you with authority. Maybe someone who's been an expert in the field. I remember like hearing from an expert at a conference in Los Angeles and being like, this is like the expert in the world on this one part of the Bible and being like, wow, this guy has authority because he knows all this. Maybe you've been to a lecture like that. Maybe it's been like with sciences or someone actually taught with authority. I think it's a very rare thing for someone to teach authority. And actually Mark is saying here is that when Jesus was teaching, he wasn't just teaching other people's stuff, that he actually taught the original thing with authority. His authority was from his teaching, but then he actually displays what that authority looks like this passage. His authority of the spiritual world, but also the physical world. I know it's Thanksgiving and this isn't a kind of a light topic, but we live in a very spiritual world. Every October, I'm very aware of this. Maybe you're aware of this too, right? Like I've never seen so many movies in October that are focused on the demonic, on, on a spiritual world. It's interesting statistically, like they say people will struggle with, with whether or not God exists, but people actually in our culture say that, that ghosts and demons and Satan does exist, Right? I remember this one, this one director who directed this one movie. It's, he said, you know, if I can get people talking about, about this, about Satan and demons, I can actually get them talking about Jesus. That we live in a culture that's really wrapped up in a spiritual world, that we actually are kind of scared by it or frightened by it because we don't understand it. See, Mark's first healing or first ministry moment of Jesus isn't a physical healing, but a spiritual healing. And this isn't by an accident. It shows Jesus has authority over spiritual world first. and says here in verse 23, it says, Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Because of this, they were all amazed, and they began to ask each other, 
What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once the news about him spread through the entire vicinity of Galilee. There's a few things with this interesting passage, which I think is just so fascinating for us when I looked at this. One is that the man with the demon was in the synagogue. See, he was a God-fearing Jew. Right? Like, the Samaritans weren't even allowed into the synagogue, but he was a God-fearing Jew. And the demon knew exactly who Jesus was. And up to this point, this is the most clear declaration of who Jesus is and what his mission is about. By someone other than Mark, explain this. He said, kind of shows us so quickly his spiritual battle in this world really is, is destroying sin, Satan, and death. This, this guy says to, to Jesus, what are you doing? You're going to destroy us. <laughs> he's not just saying that there's many demons in this person. He's just saying is that there's a spiritual war that's happening. Jesus, Jesus is actually going to battle. And Jesus' primary mission was to defeat sin, Satan, and death. And to establish a new kingdom. When I think about a spiritual war, that when we came to Kelowna, Right? I feel like we were unequipped for this. We we're not equipped for a spiritual battle. Like, think about like so often, I think, in our, in our culture that we live our life in like a cruise ship. Right? Like, have you ever, has anybody been on a cruise ship? A couple people? I've been on a cruise ship, and I remember like when you get on a cruise ship in like Pacific Place in Vancouver, right? We like, got on to a, the cruise ship. It's like so exciting. This boat's so massive. It was like the Royal Princess or something, and um, or the Golden Princess. We get onto this boat, and we like I do one lap around the, uh, the outer deck. I see the buffet. I see like the pizza I can order whenever I want, whenever I want. Like I know pizza at two in the morning. They'll like wood fire pizza for me, right? Like I'm like okay, cool, and. Now what are we going to do? Right? That was like the first four hours. (laughs) I have like three more days on this boat. I remember we started like figuring out like, okay, let's um, let's try every single dessert in one day. Right? That's like like a challenge for Colby. We started in the the bottom and I tried, because every dessert's free. I tried all these desserts and I'm like, I don't know if I like that. Just one bite off of every dessert, right? Get to the middle deck, more desserts, upper deck, more desserts, right? Like that was my, I remember one time we watched four Ragnarok three times because we had nothing to do. That was the cruise ship experience for me. But I think a lot of our lives is like a cruise ship. It's like about convenience, comfort, it's about safety, it's about getting the things that we want out of this life. If you look at the cruise ship, and actually the opposite of that is a battleship. I've never been on a battleship. My friend's a chaplain and just served six months. And he was talking about this, that the the battleship, like you are practicing war techniques all the time. You are practicing drills all the time. There's no rest. There's no daiquiris and shuffleboards. There's no sleeping, you know, in big, comfortable beds with like the special weighted blankets and the sleep systems. It's like you're sleeping in bunks. You're being prepared. You're running drills to stay on top of the battle that you're at, the war you're in. I think sometimes when it comes to a spiritual reality that we actually are in a cruise ship when really we need to be in a battleship. See, spiritually, we're at war, and Jesus has the authority. 
C.S. Lewis famously states in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that he warns of two types of dangers that rests on the opposite sides of a continuum that to either overestimate or, over, or overestimate or underestimate the power of Satan and the kingdom of his darkness. See, to overestimate Satan is to live in an unwarranted fear which takes us away from our primary focus on Jesus. It could be almost like in a hyper-militaristic space where people are like, there's a demon in every single corridor and there's like a spiritual battle on every little nuance, right? But to underestimate Satan is to live in denial of danger, which leads us victim to attacks that could otherwise be easily resisted, in which surrenders our invitation from God to be proactive overcomers. You see, what C.S. Lewis here is saying here is that either we overestimate the spiritual battle or we underestimate it. We very rarely understand just for what it is. See, Mark is showing us here that wherever you're at in the battle, whether you, you want to live in a cruise ship life or a battleship life, that Jesus has the authority over the spiritual world. My daughter, it's interesting, every Halloween, you know, they just get freaked out about things. And a couple nights ago, they're like, Dad, I'm just like, can you pray for me? I'm so scared. And I was like, what do you mean you're so scared? Like someone was talking about a demon at school, and I was like, well, okay, interesting. Right? There's talk of a spiritual world in little kids because they're just trying to figure out, like, what does it look like at Halloween? Or what does it look like when you see a scary movie? Or what does that feel like to be afraid? Remember that as a kid, like, being afraid? Like, it's almost, like, thrilling, I'm like, to my daughter, I'm like, you don't have to be afraid because Jesus has authority. Jesus has won the battle. See, Jesus has authority over the spiritual world, but he also has authority over this physical world. And Mark shows us that Jesus had authority over the physical. It says here in verse 29, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Right? Like, what an interesting thing. Like, this is like the first mother-in-law introduced in the Gospel of Mark. Right? The only one I really know about. And it's Peter's mother-in-law. Right? And they, a lot of times when you look at this, there's a cool m- moment in the, in the movie called Chosen. Go and download that app. Um, and you can watch kind of Life with Jesus. And their take on it was that, that Jesus shows up and heals Simon, Peter's mother-in-law so that Peter could go and do ministry alongside Jesus. It says here that, so he went and took her by the hand, the mother-in-law, raised her up. The fever left her and she began to serve them. Right? Mark is showing us that there's authority over the physical. See, when the evening came, the sun had set, it says here that they brought him all those who were sick and deemed possessed because he had authority. The whole town assembled at the door and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons who not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, they knew of his authority. You see, think about our, our culture. Just a touch of Jesus' hand and the fever is cured. This happens over and over and over again in Mark's gospel. We're going to see this. Like three lines later in this passage, it shows that Jesus, that Jesus cures whole crowds of people 
A few days later, it shows that he cures a man with leprosy. In the middle of chapter 2, you will see everyone is amazed by his authority over healing the physical and the spiritual. Like, no one has this kind of authority. No one has this, this authority. No one that I know has this authority. See, what Jesus is saying here to them in this time and us, he says, follow me because I am a king you've been looking for your whole life. Follow me because I have authority over everything. Yet I humbled myself for you to die for you. See, I died on the cross for you that when you didn't have the right beliefs or behaviors, I still came to show you my love and compassion. It says this in the very beginning of Mark's chapter 1 gospel, chapter 1, that I brought you news that will change your life. I will brought you a gospel news that will change and reorientate all of your life, that it looks like for the rest of your life it's changed by Jesus. It's not just good advice, it's changing. See, when you realize you're at war, that Jesus is the king with authority over your life, you begin to realize that your life looks different. That, that you actually are in a spiritual war and a physical war. See, we don't overestimate or underestimate the spiritual war we're in. I love this in John chapter 8, verse 44. It talks about this idea of the spiritual war, I think, that we're foremost in. It says here, you are of the fa- your father, the devil. This is John 8, verse 44. It's talking about the spiritual war we're in. It says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. What it's saying here is that Jesus is saying is that there is a spiritual battle. And I think so often I am unequipped for this, that we are unequipped for the spiritual battle that we're in. I think it's so easy for us to like talk about like a physical battle. Like, when like okay, yeah, um, I look in the mirror and I'm a little bit overweight. I'm just going to start like working out, eating better. I'm going to have better friends in my life. I think we so easily focus on the, the physical, right? Like if I'm, if I'm sick, I go to a doctor. Right? I think about the miraculous thing of how many people in this time have been sick with COVID and have actually been healed from it? How many people have been spared from, from death, but then also grieving people who've actually lost someone? But Jesus here is saying here is that there is a father of lies. And this is the spiritual war. It means asking some of these questions, I think, we're talking about a spiritual battle. This isn't like, you know, overestimating or underestimating. It's just understanding that there are things in our lives that if we're at battle, if we're at war, that Satan is trying to to change our mindset. There's thoughts that we have. This I've been doing the last few months. Here's one of the questions I ask all the time is, what are the lies that play in my mind? Have you ever done that? Like, what are the lies that play in your mind? What are the, just writing them down. It's interesting to hear the lies when you write them down. I've, I've written those lies down. I've talked to my therapist about them. I've talked to my friends about them. I've talked to my family about them. I've talked to my mom and my dad about them. But what are the lies that play out in our mind all the time? 
I talked about this a few weeks ago, that so often it comes from this, this systemic thought of, like, I'm not enough. Right? Like, I'm not enough. I remember my kids were really, 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 really little, right, thinking that I'm not enough of a dad. In a season where I'm planting a church for the unchurched, right, so often you can creep up and say, well, maybe I'm not enough of a pastor. Right? Like, we're all wrestling through things in our minds. It could be attached to your career. It could be attached to a season you're in your life. It could be attached to your marriage. It could be attached to a childhood wound. But what are the lies that play out in your mind? See, what are the deceptive ideas that these thoughts that feel to have an evil to them just keep coming back? Have you ever had a thought that just came back over and over and over and over and over again? You're like, where's that thought coming from? It sounds deceptive. It sounds like it's trying to reorientate my life. It's trying to like, it's coming against things I know to be true in Jesus, but they keep on coming back. What are deceptive ideas? And I ask the question is, what is this tr- the trust structure below them? Like, what's the trust below these ideas, these thoughts? And what's the fear attached to them? What's driving me? What's the desire that's disorientated that my life that's driving me? Like, what's the fear? What's the fear if I lost this? Or if I, like someone said, you know, the worst moment in your life might not be an awful thing happening to you, but might actually be succeeding in the wrong things. But what is the, what is the fear that's attached to the lies that you believe? That someone won't love you or that you're unlovable, <laughs> that you're not enough. You see, we all have fears that are attached to us. And one of the best ways, and this is actually part of like modern psychology, they say in prayer, you can ask God by, by corresp- bringing a corresponding scripture to mind and write it out. Like, there's an old thing that the church used to do where you used to memorize scripture. Like, if you guys are in Sunday school, like, my kids, when they went to camp this summer, right, they came back and, like, my youngest daughter got, like, a candy for every time she memorized a verse. And I remember, like, the first night at, you know, trying to go to bed, it's, like, 9.30 at night. I'm like, go to bed, right? And then like, he was like, I just can't, Dad. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I have to memorize this verse for tomorrow. <laughs> every night, right? She's like, Dad, go over the cue cards. Get those cue cards out, Dad. We're to go over it. Okay, one. Okay. I'm like, okay, read it off to me. Okay. Like she like she had them like dialed in, this little incredible seven-year-old. But it's bringing corresponding scripture to mind and writing it out, redirecting these thoughts by replacing them with the truth of God's word. Like we all hear lies. That's the thing. It's a spiritual battle. We all hear lies about whatever it is. It could be past sin struggles or or actual like sin struggles even today, but taking those lies and replacing them with God's truth of who you are. We're to post in the next few weeks, just like some on our Instagram account, just simple things about who you are in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I just, I'll save those things on days where I just like, I believe the lies about myself. I go back and I just read them out again and again and again, that in Christ, I am a saint. I'm a friend of God. I'm complete. 
right? Because those lies creep up because we're in a spiritual battle, but understanding that, that we need to like replace those thoughts with corresponding thoughts about Jesus. Like this is a psychological practice that they use today, especially people who struggle with addictions. Like Viktor Frankl said, right, he's a very famous book called The Man's Search for Meaning. He says, all you do is you replace something with something else of significance that draws you, that shows you that you actually have significance in the world. My friend just said to me recently, he called me up and said, hey, actually, um, I struggle with, with like a secret sin in my life. And I struggle with it. I'm okay, thanks for telling me what you struggle with. He goes, how do I fix this? And I said, man, here's the deal. Every time that you go to that place where you want to look at this, you want to look at pornography, or you're thinking about pornography, you like, just spend all the energy loving your wife. <laughs> like, write her a card, write her a note, write her like a post-it note that says, I love you, I adore you. Pretty simple. Thanks for X, Y, and Z. <laughs> it could be a card, it could be a message, it could be buying flowers, like all that redirected energy. And what we're saying here is that, that there's redirected energy that we spend so often living in lies. You have an awful week at work and you're like, oh, it's like I'm the worst person ever. But changing those lies and replacing them with truths about who God says you are in Jesus. You see, as a church, I would love for us to claim our authority that's been lost. Realizing it's been found in Jesus. It means looking at your life, I'm going to bring the band up actually, as I close out here. Um, it means looking at your life spiritually and physically and realizing that following Jesus doesn't mean that life is going to be just roses. Sometimes following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, ends up in a dead end, in tough, difficult places. It means going to places where you think it's going to crush you. But realize that Jesus' kingship, that Jesus being the king will never crush you. Realize that he was crushed for you. That Jesus, when he followed his life to the cross, so what, that whatever you and I face, spiritually or physically, know that our paths can end up in the arms of Jesus. I don't know where you're at, spiritually or physically, but that we can end up in the arms of Jesus. And he could say to us, you're my beloved son and daughter. I think that's something for us to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. That whether you're in a great moment or in a, in a low moment in your life, that God loves you and he's opening his arms to you and saying, you are my beloved. I'm just going to pray and then invite you at the end of it to stand. But I'll pray and then we'll worship God because we're thankful people. We're thankful that God has authority over the, the physical and the spiritual. That in Christ we're conquerors. I repeat this to my kids all the time and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for our people. I thank you for all the people that are at home right now for Thanksgiving. Jesus, we love you. We would be thankful people. 
Lord, that you have authority over the spiritual and the physical. God, that wherever we're at, wherever we came into church today, that will we have thankful hearts? Would we fight for gratitude when all we have is just attitude sometimes? Lord, remind us this Thanksgiving of what we have to be thankful for. We love you and want to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.